Hi, I'm Laura Ferrero, and this is Stories in Harmony, where we'll talk to people from all walks of life and hear their stories. We'll learn about obstacles they've encountered and overcome along their path, why they do what they do, and a whole lot more. The hope is that these stories will inspire you on your own journeys. Today, we sit down with Annika Rose, a gifted singer-songwriter from Los Angeles. Annika has quite a fascinating story, and we talk about how she started singing when she was eight years old and ended up getting signed to Simon Cowell's record label in her early teens as part of a girl group, which was subsequently dropped from the label, and a lot of the challenges she's faced navigating the the music industry. We also talk about her time during the pandemic, which is unlike any other experience that I've ever heard of. She lived in a very unique family situation. And one day while out taking a mental health walk during lockdown, she was actually hit by a truck and ended up in the hospital and had to overcome that as well as many other things to pursue her music and her writing. She has a lot of music and videos that she's going to release, which are really exciting and creative and groundbreaking. The first single is Bruises, which I'm sure you'll check out and enjoy. And now I hope you enjoy my conversation with Annika Rose. So Annika Rose, we're so happy to have you here today. I'm really excited to talk with you. Me too. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So we were just chatting before we were were rolling. Um, you grew up in LA and you come from a musical family and you started doing your own YouTube videos when you were around eight years old. Mm-hmm. What what compelled you to do that? Um, I don't know, to be honest with you. I think obviously I just grew up in a very musical family. My dad plays guitar and was always sit in the living room and play me some songs and I my mom was a musician and she was always journaling and writing and playing the piano and I think when you have that that influence around you from a from a very young age it's it just seems natural that somehow I ended up doing a similar thing and um yeah I was living in Huntington Beach at the time actually because we moved up there from from the valley for a few years and during that time I would sit in my bathtub and make my mom take out a recording device and <laughs> record me singing some random covers and some crazy little outfits that I thought was like the coolest shit in the entire world and put it on YouTube and that was that was sort of the start. Yeah, that's that's amazing. And did you at that time did you have any thoughts of like growing an audience or were you just doing it for fun because you loved singing and loved music? I don't know if I could even process the fact that like that opportunity to have other people's eyes on you was even like prevalent because I was so young yeah and I knew my mom was recording me but I didn't really know all of the implications that had in, in putting that on the internet and what could come from that um so it just felt natural just feel like I mean I always had the camera on me as a kid I was like always in the talent shows and and putting on dance shows in the living room and singing on the couch and writing weird little songs that I would sing acapella in the living room so um yeah just it just happened like that that's really fun and what what did come from that I know 
you know, I'm probably jumping ahead. Uh, maybe you can fill in the gap. So years later, as a teenager, a young teenager, you ended up getting signed to Simon Cowell's record label as part of a, a girl group, I believe. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately. <laughs> so how did that all transpire? Um, so through those YouTube videos, uh, this woman... I don't know how she stumbled upon my video, but she did. And she was the mother of a drummer who was in like a young band that was playing shows around L.A. And um, and somehow there was some form of communication that was directed at my mom. And they were like, we need a singer for the band. The singer just quit. And I was so adamant about being a solo artist. I was like, I am a solo artist. There's no way I'm going to be playing in bands and like performing rock music. I was like obsessed with Katy Perry. And um, she was like, just give it a try. Like, you don't know. Let's drive down to LA, get in a rehearsal. There's another girl in the band. Maybe you guys will be best friends. Who knows? Maybe it'll be the worst experience of your life, but you won't know unless you go try. Yeah. I was like, okay, mom, I trust you. So started rehearsing with this band. I immediately like fell in love with everybody. It was so fun. The energy that you get from playing with other people is just unlike anything else. And I was 10 at that point. And through that, we played a bunch of shows all over LA and our MD was a great songwriter. And so he would write originals for the band that we would perform. And then eventually I started writing. I started co-writing on those originals because I was just intrigued by this thing and I wanted to participate in it as much as I could. And so we started playing shows around L.A. and we were just doing like Zeppelin covers. And it was uh, it, it gave me exposure to an entirely new genre of music that I didn't really spend much of my upbringing listening to. But obviously I was still I was only 10, so still um, was introduced pretty early on. And we start playing these shows and we're having a great time. We're playing like the Kibitz Room at like Canner's Deli on Fairfax. Oh, like <laughs> like literally like four days a week. Like it was all the time. It was nonstop. Wow. It was so fun. Um, and th- we actually did a cover of a Foo Fighters song. <laughs> we like tried to recreate the music video. And it's honestly hilarious. And I like it. I, I, I kind of am angry that it's still on the internet. But it's definitely sweet to look back on. And... We did this cover and an A&R who worked for Sony Music in the UK. I'm 13 at this point. She had stumbled upon the video and she was scouting for a girl band. And the girl band was supposedly going to be an alternative leaning rock girl band where everybody played instruments, which is untraditional for Psycho. If you know what Psycho does with their boy bands and girl bands, it's like a a group of... A label. Yeah, Yeah. they're, they're all singing and... Um, this was like a different setup because the guy who was involved in, in putting together this girl band, that was like his dream vision. It was like to pull together young, super talented musicians, get them in a room where they can shred and impress people at 13 and have them write songs and, and, and make the music and then launch them and whatnot. So that was the plan. And I think inevitably when you put four teenage girls in a room and they have to have legal guardians with them, which means that your parents are involved, there's bound to be um, some internal chaos. Sure, yeah. Um, And boy, (laughs) was there some internal chaos Um, because we did a showcase with this band that I was in before. It was called Breaking 27, Two Guys, Two Girls. And eventually um, we performed for the whole label team at a studio 
and they decided, hey, we don't want to sign the guys. We want to sign the girls, and we want to go forth with this girl band vision. Um, it's up to you if you want to leave the band. If not, we're going to keep scouting. So yeah. the bass player was the other girl. She was a dear friend of mine, and we she had been in that band for years prior to me. She's a couple years older than I am. And so it was a very like emotional and sensitive thing for her to leave what felt like a, a family. For me, I was like, deuces. I was like, I'm out. Let's go. And um, and so I left. She eventually left. We scouted a drummer, scouted a guitarist. Everyone was super talented and really, really gifted at their instrument. Um, but again, like I said, four teenage girls and you're thrown into the fire and you're thrown wow. into the major label machine where you're writing all day every day and you're like it's like blind dating you're just going in with like this pop person this pop person this pop person and you're supposed to like you're expected to to deliver a product by the by the end of the day and when you're 13 oh, with wow. very minimal it's a lot of pressure it's a lot of pressure and it was also something that i you know i'd never done that before i'd always always had an interest in songwriting but to be a part of something where you are working with other people to tell real life stories um it felt like a lot of pressure to be more grown up than I was at the time and have had more experiences at 13 than I had had. Like, I remember being asked, like, you haven't, like, kissed a boy yet? Like, you don't want to talk? Like, can we talk about that? And I'm like, no. Like, I like I just turned 13. I'm not out here, like, making out with, like, John in sixth grade. Like, I'm not doing that. And, like, we don't need to write about that. And so it felt like I had to grow up a lot faster than the average 13 year old so that I could go into these rooms and feel like I wasn't like subpar or I wasn't like delivering what I was supposed to be delivering. And on top of that, trying to manage the relationships between four teenage girls, um, where a lot of jealousy was involved and people felt like this person was being favored more in this area and this person being favored more over here when really it's just like, no, everybody has their roles. Everybody has their talents. Everybody has a time and a place to showcase their talents. And, um, yeah, it didn't work out for those reasons. Right. And the parental involvement adds an entirely different layer of complexity and and negativity. <laughs> oh, goodness. Yeah, I, I can imagine, you know, it's hard at that age for parents not to be involved, but there are parents have egos too and their own concerns and it must have been quite a quite a mix of of circumstances that would lead to it maybe not working out yeah and during that time the A&R who had initially scouted us um she was my age at the time maybe a year older I'm, I'm 20 and uh she and my mom fell in love during that which was a yeah. whole other thing. <laughs> um, yeah, during that time. So that's when that's when that happened. Yeah. Oh my goodness. She was an A and R, and she was working for Simon in the UK, um, and so she was like our like everyday you know go to person for questions and for sessions and for all of the stuff that we were doing. Um, so we'd all developed like a very loving, close friendship and relationship with her because she was only a few years older than us and but she had this life and vibrancy and energy to her that just felt like so exciting for us and we even named the girl band after her which is hilarious um yeah (laughs) what was it called it was called did alice call because there was a running joke in the band like 
did she call it? Because we were so excited. It was like all these problems. You're going to go on tour. You're going to do this. You're going to do this. You're working with this person today. And you're going to have a like black limo pick you up from school. as like a surprise because it's funny. And like that did happen. So we loved her. We were always like, did Alice call? Did Alice call today? And you know, the time zone difference. And oh. it was a running joke that, did anybody hear from her? Like, what are we doing today? And uh, yeah. And then, you know. Oh, and well, gosh, I mean, what was that like for you having your mother fall in love with her? And did they, did their relationship kind of blossom from there? And, you know, my mom is a, is a very, she's a very selective person when it comes to who she allows to share her energy with and receive hers and, and, and who she receives back. And I know that about her and I knew that because I'm, I'm the same way. And I knew that she had a really strong connection with Alice. And, you know, she had sort of been managing my career up to that point, driving me to band rehearsals. She obviously was a musician. So there was a very close attachment to everything I was doing through her because I was so mm-hmm. young. And she was she was my like guiding hand through everything. And so obviously the communication was was pretty heavy between her and Alice during that time, just from in terms of my safety and where I was going to be on Tuesday and all of these things. And so I had noticed that they had developed a really close friendship and, and I admired that and I respected that because it was sweet for me as a sensitive person who cares very deeply for my mother to see her have that friendship with people, but I know how, how sparingly that comes along. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I didn't really think much of it in the beginning and then, you know, I was like, okay, you guys are, you're going to London? You're flying to London? What are you flying to London for? Like, what are you, what are you doing over there? Like, why am I not coming to London if you're flying to London? Mm. And my dad um, has, a, has a very demanding job, and he was, he was spending most of his time working in Africa. So he wasn't home a lot. Um, he's fantastic. The most, the, he's my best friend, best dad in the Aww. world. Um, and, uh, you know... I, had, I was a very observant, sensitive person, still am, and I I knew that their relationship wasn't the most exciting, loving thing in the entire world. Um, but, you know, they were still together, and mm. um, and I, I, I just saw this, like, childlike spirit emerge from my mom again, and I was like, that's weird. I was like, where? I mean, I, like, I respect it, and I like to see it, but where is it coming from? Where, who, what? I don't know. Um, and I did have running thoughts of that it was a possibility, but the, the implications that would have had at that time, if it were to be true in my own brain, were so daunting to think about that I didn't even allow myself to process that possibility. And how old um, were you at that? 15. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, obviously I felt really protective over my mother and how people perceived her if perhaps this thing were true. And I felt scared that I would be ostracized if, if you know, if I, if people were to find out if, if this were a thing that was happening. Um, and then I also worried about how I would view my mom, in a sense, and not yeah. because of her sexuality, I'm a very, very open person. I don't think anybody even needs to define their sexuality. Um, but it was more like, who are you? 
and like we're best friends like have you been lying to me about who you are yeah and it was more that question of like hey i thought we were best friends i thought you told me everything um, and i imagine you were concerned about your father too oh my god it's like so concerned yeah. i was like no like and, you know, I, I can understand he's an adult and he can he can handle things, but that doesn't make it any less hard. Um, and, you know, eventually, like, it all came to fruition and it was true and there was a lot of change and she actually ended up leaving the record company before we were dropped mm-hmm. um, for that reason because they weren't really allowing her to be out here, which is where she could have done been doing her job the best. And, um, yeah. And they were just running her dry over there with the time difference and the workload and her not being able to be here in the U.S. um, doing everything that she was supposed, she was expected to be doing. And so um, just for that reason alone, I think would have been enough for her to leave the company. Um, But then, of course, the additional layer of falling in love with somebody who's in another country. Um, So she left before we were dropped and that was sort of the beginning of the demise and it was a very rapid fire demise <laughs> post her, her leaving the, the company, the demise of the girl band, the girl band yeah, yeah. Gotcha. and the relationships, yeah. just little fires everywhere. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so that was, that's a lot. And as a 15 year old, I think a lot to process and did it kind of alter your worldview a little bit? Like maybe what you thought was, might have been a, a safe space in your family kind of shifted under your feet yeah I mean I think it was a really complex thing to process um, given the fact that I was 15 and there are a lot of other things that you're trying to process at 15 yeah. so just like baseline stress level is already super high and then you add that on top with all the the protective instincts and also the curiosity and the questions it was it was a lot um and yeah I think it did like it did change the way that I view love I think I just having different examples of what that can look like in front of you and how quickly it can change or evolve um I think it was it was good for me to have experienced that I mean you know, in retrospect, I'm happy everything unfolded the way that it did. But, um, yeah, it was, you know, I, I never thought that my parents didn't like each other because I, like, they're still best friends. Like, they, there's a deep underlying love and friendship there, which I feel lucky enough to say. So, um, you know, and it's, it's nice to see that even if the romantic connection between two people can fade over the course of time, that underlying un- unconditional love for the person and for what you shared together at a certain time is there and somebody else can come and reignite that like that fire in you romantically at any stage in life and i think that was oddly reassuring somehow oh that's i feel like that's a very um adult <laughs> and healthy way of, of processing it i mean it wasn't what i thought when i first happened i was like fuck you fuck you fuck you i was yeah. like i need therapy please help me what is happening but the rational side of my brain knew that it was all for good reason and it was all with good intent yeah and that is one thing i've learned just you know 
living, living life is that there are certain things that happen and at the time they feel like your world is just falling apart or it feels so big and earth shattering and dramatic. But then as time passes, you know, you realize that you gained something so valuable from it, totally. that you learn lessons that maybe connections were made that wouldn't have been otherwise that just kind of alter the course of your, of your life. And yeah. it's just, it's, it's, I don't know, it's part of what kind of keeps me sane in those difficult times. I, I've lived long enough now that I can look back and remember like, oh, that does happen. Right. There's still some things that have happened where in the last couple of years of the pandemic that weren't great. And I'm like, okay, what's the good outcome going to be? I haven't figured that out yet, but you know, you trust, trust that, that, that it happened for, for a reason. When did you come to that realization for yourself? And like, when did, when, when was like the pivotal turning point in your life where you realized that like every trauma and pain and unfortunate situation that you had to endure was actually for good reason looking back? Wow, that's a really good question. Um, you know, I I lost someone uh, very close to me, my, my boyfriend, when he was 27, and it was it was something that was a complete shock. It was a an accident, a scuba diving accident. Oh lord! Yeah, and sorry, I didn't mean to get so heavy no, all of a sudden, no, I, but. I, I, I mean, it was probably, I, I was, it was easily the worst thing that had happened in my, in my life, um, at that point. And, you know, it was a, it was one of the hardest <clears throat> years of my, of my life going through that. But, you know, and of course, if I could choose, I would never have had that happen. But now looking back, like I actually had a friend, a friend who passed away in her mid thirties a few years ago and her boyfriend was devastated <clears throat> and I was somehow able I think to offer him some comfort because of what I went through and certain aspects of life just became um like I appreciated them so much more realizing firsthand that life is so fleeting because when you're in your 20s I, I feel like you just don't really have a concept of that you sort of feel like you're going to live forever a lot of the time and for better or for worse you know and, and you know that just kind of it really did make me and it sounds a bit cliche but it's true appreciate the things that are really important in the relationships in life and you know I still get worried and stressed out a little more than I would like to you know but but there's always kind of that that undercurrent foundation of oh my gosh this is something that um, I learned through this experience to really appreciate the here and now and who you're with and not you know not take everything so seriously because it's a gift and you know that's just one of the things I learned from that experience so that was when I was in my late 20s and I mean it happens still all the time you know I know but that doesn't invalidate the pain that you had to go through in your own personal experience even if yeah. it happens to to a million people like that's that's your experience and and you had to find your your own healing after that and I think I, I mean, I can commend you immensely for having, hearing you speak on it now, for what direction you leaned more into after having such a traumatizing experience, because for many people, it can go the opposite way, and you can look for, for answers in the wrong places and for comfort in the wrong places, and I don't know your full story, but just sitting here with you now, knowing what you do for a living and how you speak about that experience, I mean, that's... 
that's a true testament to your character and your, you as a person and your healing. Oh, thanks, Annika. That's so that's so sweet. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, it's it's. One and I'm of, sorry. Oh, that's thank you. Really thank you so much. Um, oh my goodness. So <laughs> yeah, it's like how do you? It's hard to move on from that sort of. But it's something. I think probably like the experience with with your mother, like you probably wouldn't have chosen to have that happen, but there are things now you're probably more open, like you said, to different, you know, love in its many different forms and how it could come at any time and maybe a certain level of being more accepting of that and not judgmental perhaps, you know, so, and so... I do know a little bit about, <laughs> I think, well, what happened during the pandemic, and correct me if I'm if I'm wrong on this, but mm-hmm. I think what happened, your father got ill, and you ended up living in uh, the home with your mother and your father, and is it your mother's new wife? Did they get married? And my sister. And your sister. <laughs> a full house, yeah. A full house, modern family. Um, yeah, so, as I mentioned, my dad, my dad, um, does solar energy for remote villages in Africa. He's incredible. Wow. He's the best ever. Um, and he, yeah, something, an incident happened in the beginning of 2020 where he was out there and, um, and he went to see a dentist, I think, and they injected like a, a needle into a nerve ending in his gums that paralyzed half his face and so for that reason he came home because he was like i gotta fix the face (laughs) that can't happen and found out when he came home that the blood work he had gotten done before he left um there was like a something off with his blood cell count and um found out that he had cancer um and so thank god his face got paralyzed (laughs) Because he would have been, because oh, two weeks later, the lockdown. Um, oh my gosh! Yeah. Right, so he couldn't. Have so traveled. he wouldn't have been able to leave the country, um, yeah. which is terrifying to think about. So again, everything happens for a reason. But right. he, um, yeah, he came back, found out he had cancer, um, sat us down on the couch. It was a very emotional conversation, to say the least. Mm-hmm. And um, he's, you know, he's the most optimistic person I have ever met and like sometimes to a fault um but hearing the way that he spoke about it was so comforting because I am a very reactive person which I'm working on um but I would have easily just like run into the street and been like (sighs) just like screamed at the top of my lungs and he was like it's it's gonna be cool it's gonna be okay we're gonna do this here are the steps he's like very actionable um, a situation presents itself and he immediately is mapping out the steps on how to sort it, figure it out, get to the other side, whatever it is. And um, I think I've, I've, I'm learning that from him now. Um, but yeah, he ended up going through cancer recovery treatment during the beginning of the pandemic. So like pre-vaccine, which was very scary because we all felt the pressure to, you know, we can't be the reason he gets sick. So we were just like hyper vigilant about just like everybody was because there was so many like 
contradicting, conflicting information that was being put out there. And nobody actually knew what the right things to do were um, to not get sick. And so it was really just like, all right, we're just going to be like confined to these walls. It's going to be okay. And he's going to go through the treatment. The treatment's going to work. Fingers crossed. And, um, and it ended up being a hell of a two years as a, as a family. And like I said, thank God, Alice, my mom's wife, who's my manager, um, thank God Alice and my mom and my dad all got along. They all care oh, so deeply God, for each other. I was other. wondering about that, if that, that would have been really difficult if that hadn't oh been God. the case. Gosh. Yeah. And, you know, my dad is 15 years older than my mom and Alice is 25 years younger than my mom. So their age difference is oh, wow. significant. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so it just, it, it was hilarious. I mean, I go through my camera roll sometimes and find the videos of like everybody maybe having a couple glasses of wine too many and playing games and my dad cooking his like big cheese, like Swiss cheese fondue in the kitchen, like three glasses of wine and everyone just laughing, playing darts. And like, wow. it honestly was, we have so many, I, I have so many fond memories of that time for as difficult as it was. Um, and yeah, we just, I just didn't see anybody. I mean, I saw my boyfriend who I'd actually just started a relationship with before the pandemic, which is a whole other can of worms. But, um, he, he was the only person I saw and his family was again, also hyper vigilant. And, um, you know, he's still living with his parents. So I had to be careful for their sake as well. So it felt like a very, um, mutual sort of like, we're all gonna do our best to keep this person safe and this person safe and this person safe. And, and make it work yeah. to the best of our ability. And we did. And he was okay, recovered. Oh, thank goodness. Is he doing well now? And yeah. He actually moved back to Switzerland, which is where he's from. Oh, okay. Um, so his family is there. And, yeah, he moved back and spends splits his time between Switzerland and Africa and then comes to see us whenever he can. Um, but we grew incredibly incredibly close during the pandemic like developed an actual adult relationship with each other during that time and um, because of all of the health stuff he was going through and because I just had way too much free time on my hands like everybody else I started getting really into like health podcasts and learning about nutrition and exercise and 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 cancer treatment and all these things I, yeah. I started walking miles and miles every morning because I just had nothing better to do and listening to hour long podcasts on, on nutri like I said nutrition and, and treatment and all of these things and actually eventually started having him get in on it with me and he started walking six miles with me every morning and quit drinking wow. and all of these great things not like he had a drinking problem before but just like learning about longevity and what you need to do to like serve your body in the proper ways and we you know would go on these two-hour walks together every morning and just connect and I learned more about him than I have in 20 years that's, a, so. that's an amazing byproduct of a very difficult situation yeah seriously you know I, I've heard a few stories of families who wouldn't have been spending time together otherwise yeah. um, and they you know despite all of the hardships during lockdown and the pandemic, they're like really thankful for that. And it sounds like similar with you, you got to spend this real quality time with your dad when he was going through a really tough time. And 
you were able to support him, and I'm sure he benefited from those health podcasts. Oh, I still sound up to him every day, like religiously. <laughs> They're the best. Yeah, I, I listen to a lot of those too. David Sinclair, my guy, my longevity teacher. Oh, I don't think I've heard. Oh my god, fantastic! Andrew Huberman, Huberman Lab. I'm like, I'm so deep in it now. It's it's become like a a passion of mine on the side just to learn about all of that. Oh my gosh, I'm totally going to do a deep dive after. I'll send you, I'll send you everything. <laughs> perfect, perfect. Yeah, my guy is Rich Roll. He's I a, love Rich you Roll. Know Rich, I yeah. love Rich Roll. Let's go. <laughs> He's amazing. He's amazing. <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah, so that's really, that's awesome. And then I know that during one of those walks, I, I mean, you, you were hit by a truck. Is that right? I mean, yeah, that did happen. It doesn't, it doesn't sound that. like a real a real thing, but and oh, so what? Yeah, what happened? And you ended up in the hospital. Yeah. Oh God. Um. Yeah. So I, I like I said, started walking. Um. Just a product of the pandemic, going to bed so early because I'm bored, and then waking up so early because I went to bed so early, and I was like, what am I gonna do? So I just started walking all the time. And uh, it's a habit now that I still continue to do every single morning when I can. And uh, I really have made it a point, which now is getting a little bit hard because I'm putting out music and the workload is so heavy that I don't really have an hour and a half in the morning to just like Mm -hmm. not be on my phone or doing things. But I really made as much of an effort as I could to have that be my quiet grounding time. Don't be on my phone. If I want to listen to a podcast, listen to a podcast. If I want to listen to a record, listen to a record. But really don't be like this, twiddling my thumbs for an hour and a half. Like, ground yourself, walk, connect, all of those things. And that's what I did. And then in March, um, I it was about to be my boyfriend's birthday. And I'd already gotten him a gift. But I was like, I want us to like have an experience together on top of this like tangible thing. And, um, and so I was like, who's coming to town? Who's about who's on tour? Let's go see a show. And so I was looking at my phone like an idiot and trying to buy John Mayer tickets at the forum. Um, and I was crossing this intersection and I was walking up Ventura Boulevard. And if you know Ventura in the Valley, it's, there's a lot of cars that are going by, especially when you're walking in the morning, everyone's going to work. Um, and it was a four-way intersection and I, in my peripheral vision, I thought I was in the clear and I stepped into the street and I got hit by a truck. Yeah. So I lost consciousness and, uh, my angel who was sent to me somehow, a woman who didn't even see me get hit, but saw me lying in a four-way intersection, (laughs) knocked out, um, came and she pulled me out of the street and I was like just in and out of consciousness and I had a I got hit in the head and like chest and so sorry and so I had a I don't even know what you would call it like a wound I guess for lack of a better word on my head that was so big it was covering my eye so like I couldn't see out and I just (laughs) I just remember being pulled out and and propped up against the wall on the side of the street and thinking and or and saying, "Am I dead? Am I dead? Am I dead? Am I dead?" To this woman who I could barely make out, um, and my phone, my contacts were open because I had just gotten off a of Facetime with, with 
my boyfriend. Um, and so he was the last call. So she called him and, uh, and he, and I don't remember, this is just what, what they told me. There was an urgent care down the street and she was like, should I take her? And he was like, no, get off the phone with me, call an ambulance. And she called an ambulance and then found my mom's contact in my phone and contacted my mom. Um, and they took me to a trauma center. They took me to Cedar sinai Trauma Center. And I, I remember the scariest part being like, I don't know why this was the one thing that stood out to me the most. during The, the thing that I feared the most during that, besides thinking that I was dead. Um, but being in the ambulance with like, in a very vulnerable and weak position and having only men in the, I don't know why it was such a sensitive thing for me, but they had, when you're a trauma patient, they have to cut you out of your clothes. And so I remember just feeling horrified that I was like bare in front of these men who I didn't know in a position where I couldn't defend myself and being so frightened of that more than anything really vulnerable just so vulnerable and Mm -hmm. so scared and and it felt like the longest car ride in the entire world um I think Cedars is in like Culver City or something if I'm not mistaken or West LA and I'm like in the valley so it was a long car ride and um and when I got to the hospital I I had my, my, my vision back, um, but they wouldn't allow anybody to see me for seven hours. So I was like, mommy, I was like, mom, like, where's my mom? And, um, yeah, even now I still, if I'm sick or something, I just want my mom. Yeah. That's, um, oh my gosh. That's scary. It was, sorry. It was really scary. And like, I couldn't breathe because I had, I bruised my ribs and then, and they had to like take me into like get a CT scan and all these things. And you know, when you're in that machine, they tell you take a deep inhale, hold your breath until like the thing goes off. And then you can, and I was like, I cannot in my ribs, I cannot breathe. And I was like, not dressed. They had taken everything off of me. And I was that, it was just too, too many stressors at once and like not being able to comfortably inhale and also panicking which like you're hyperventilating and being in a machine with like in this confined space it was like it was scarier than the actual accident to be honest with you um but we i mean seven hours later they let my family in and uh and that was that they i I was able to leave that night by the grace of god um had to have these amazing yeah i mean just i don't know how i don't know how the hell i didn't break anything or have a concussion i don't know (laughs) i'm not like i'm a much more spiritual person than i am anything else and that to me i was just like all right it's like something somebody somewhere is looking out for me yeah um and yeah I, i went home and i you know obviously was in a lot of pain for a few weeks and um they put me on this like crazy medication that just made me feel insane um but obviously it stunted the the pain Mm. um and so yeah I just I was on this medication and then um I ended up like 
going back into the studio the following week. Um, and my boyfriend produ- is the producer on, on all my music. And so we had like this live recording session with all these musicians and, you know, any facility we would walk into together, people would look at him. I mean, my face was purple. I had a giant black eye. So everyone was looking at him and I was like, guys, it's the truck. I promise. Oh my gosh. Because everyone, like, and we walked into the studio to record and all these musicians, I was like introducing myself to this drummer and this guitarist. And I'm like, and this is my boyfriend. They're looking at him like, Hey, oh, no. Hey, Hey man. Hey man. I was like, by the way, fully got hit by a truck last week. Like, promise you, there's nothing else happening. And um, and yeah, we were. In, that was actually on on his birthday that we went to the studio. And that night, I had gotten off of the opioids they'd put me on because obviously I'm like trying to get off this medication. Yeah. I don't want to be on it. Um, and that night, I'm like, man, like, do people get withdrawals this like early after, you know? being on something for only a few days i was like really lethargic and i was like I'm, i must just be feeling the the injuries and whatever the next day i test positive for covid oh <laughs> my like, gosh like, okay cool i'm like awesome really Whoa. really cool with the cough and my bruised ribs i'm like okay guys what's happening i was like this many bad things isn't supposed to happen in this short amount of time but wow and so it was just a whirlwind of so how did i mean obviously you are you seem amazingly healthy and like you're doing really well but at that time how did you get through all of that and persevere and kind of keep your um i don't know keep your spirits up in addition to your physical strength um I have really amazing people in my life, thank God. Um, my parents are sent from the gods. Like They're amazing, and they're the most supportive and loving, compassionate people. And so uh, I have that. And I had amazing friends who came to visit me. And um, I already felt lucky just for being alive at that point. So um, that in itself, I think, would have been enough to have some staying power um, and some positivity. And my boyfriend is, I don't even know where he came from. He's so incredible. And um, he's just an angel. And so uh, he was there for me as much as my parents were. And um, he knows all the right things to say to make me feel better. And yeah, just the relationships I have with the people in my life think was amazing and um you know I, I've spent a significant chunk of my like teenage years and very very early adult life practicing gratitude and I think um that helped me through that and also just like music as cheesy as it sounds like that is my therapy that is my um that's my my safe space and safe release and um we were finishing music we were finishing the record at that time so i felt like i had a a purpose every day to wake up and for something to be excited about yeah and is that the music that you're getting ready to release now yeah Ooh, that's exciting the bruises right bruises is coming it was so ironic that the song was called bruises and and funnily enough like a few days after i got hit i had a photo shoot in the calendar and and this photographer i was like man like i don't know if you really want to you want to capture this on camera and he's like 
it's like, why the hell not? He's like, it's a time stamp. Like, this is something that happened. Let's, let's capture it. So I did a photo shoot with him. And uh, then that was also right at the time we were deciding what the first single should be. And we decided on bruises. And I was like, oh, it's so funny. And we didn't end up using any of the pictures because I think it kind of gives off the wrong message. Oh, um, and it's not yeah. about that. It's about actually something very 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 different and it, i didn't write it about myself or form i mean i guess i wrote it for myself yeah. partially but about something completely different um and yeah that's the mute the music's coming out I'm, so, I'm like it's so surreal I'm like i want to like just start crying but oh that's um, so exciting yeah, yeah. It's very exciting. and is it it sounds like it's an extended release plan like is it um can you tell us about how you're going to be releasing it all yeah uh to be quite frank with you i like i only i'm not that many steps ahead of what's happening live i i i know um i know what the first two singles are i have a lot of other music that i'm finishing while those things are coming out um there's a lot of songs that are written not all of them are are fully done yet we're just we're i'm I'm still finishing as i'm putting stuff out but there is like a significant chunk of, of work that we'll be following after the first two singles. Um, and yeah, we're just doing things in a completely new way. It's a very experimental process this time around. I was independent for most of the pandemic. and I was, was wondering, did you write a lot of this material while you were on your own independently? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. 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 Um, a lot of it during, I mean, all of it actually that's coming out was written during the pandemic. Um, but the stuff that I ended up actually releasing during the pandemic were just one-off singles because, as I explained, I've had been in sessions for so many years. I had so many demos sitting in my notes that never would have seen the light of day if it weren't for um, the emergence of TikTok, which I now I can talk about a little bit more comfortably. But before I was like, I am not, I'm not putting myself on this app. I'm not. I was so adamant, and eventually I realized that. It was my only tool to showcase my work during the pandemic. And so I utilized it in the only way I knew how at the time. And whatever was sort of doing well through that were the stuff that I put out. And it was all independent and, you know, shot DIY videos in my downstairs bathroom in my apartment and just did it all ourselves. And then obviously, you know, started making more music that was like, more present day storytelling about what was happening at that actual time period and um, felt more connected to my music than I ever have and started just like fleshing out a body of work um, with a very, very small, small, small group of creatives because that's how I like to do things. Um, and, and yeah, and then, you know, I started doing stuff, exploring the Web3 landscape and we're sort of blending both web two and web three through these releases and using them as tools to help elevate each other, um, which is brand new for me as well. And we shot two videos for the first two singles. Um, but again, in a completely experimental way, we shot everything vertically. Um, and we created like narrative pieces for basically each section of each song. So instead of doing like two long form music videos, we, basically did 15 second music videos for each section of each song shot vertically with two creators that we found randomly on TikTok who aren't music video directors. We just really resonated with their art. They weren't from here. They don't traditionally create, they're not directors. 
Um, and we just, we, we liked their work and we were like, Hey, this is how we want to do it. It's really experimental. It's really weird. But do you want to fly out to LA and rent weird locations in downtown and just like play around and like go to vintage stores and find the, the pieces that we need for the props there and just like do everything ourselves. And luckily I started working with people who allowed a a budget for me to be able to make that happen and make it all happen on my own terms and all, um, coming from my creative vision, um, without being veered in a direction that didn't feel authentic and natural. So it's a, it's a whole new, whole new experimental phase for me, but, um, exciting and being authentic and creative like that just to me that's what it's all about you know of course and and anything for anybody yeah but unfortunately that isn't always the case Um, (laughs) i'm very 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 grateful and lucky to be working with the people i'm working with right now and is that you know i know you mentioned earlier that music kind of saved you is that what sort of kept you going and feeling motivated when all of these difficult things were happening just kind of seems like right in a row. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. always how it's been. Even when my mom and Alice were going through what they were going through and, um, the piano became my like safe haven. Um, and it has stayed that way. And, uh, it is, it is that for me. And I think it'll always be that for me. Um, and not just as a writer, but also as a lover of music in general and, and seeking out that comfort through other people's music as well. Um, but I think that's why music is so universal, is this thing that ties us all together. Yeah, absolutely. That's why I became a, a music journalist. You know, I love writing, and that's kind of my, my creative yeah, When did outlet. that start? The writing? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I I think when I was about eight, actually, I was wow. writing a lot of creative writing stories. And and as I got a little older, I remember my sixth grade teacher wrote in my yearbook, like, you should, you should become, you should think of becoming a journalist. And wow. that just kind of stuck with me. It's something I always love doing. And, um, but at the same time, like music was my other passion. And I didn't know that I would end up combining the two and making a career of so it. Cool. But it's, yeah, I mean, like you were saying, just getting through some hard times with music, it's just such a universal language. And yeah. I just went back to my first Hollywood Bowl show since before the pandemic. Did you see? It was Duran Duran. Oh, amazing. <laughs> it was really fun, like great the, show. Hey, ordinary world, right? Yeah, okay. ordinary world. <laughs> and a lot of you have Rio and girls on film, like all the early 80s hits oh, that they so had fun. in videos. And um, it was, I'm trying to remember which song they did. The, um, the Queen of England, Queen Elizabeth, had just passed away, I think a couple of days before. Mm-hmm. And so they did, I think it was Save a Prayer, one of their hit songs. Yeah. And the whole stadium just lit, you know, now it's not lighters, it's your phones. But it, the effect of, I think it's about 15,000 people in the bowl just yeah. filled up the sky and, you know, got goosebumps. And just like, yeah. music is what so is powerful. doing this. It's so powerful. Who else did you grow up listening to? Oh, my gosh. Um, and who do you love right now? Oh, those are good questions. Um, so I grew up listening to like 
lot of goth stuff like Depeche Mode and The Cure. No way. Oh my god, my favorites. Yeah, they're my favorites. The Smiths are in there too. Um, And then The Pixies is another band that I love growing up. Um, And then currently, there are are so many and I always draw a blank, but there are a few. Like Alt-J is a a band I'm really into. Um, Do you know Sophie Tucker? Yes. They're really fun. Actually, Sophie from Sophie Tucker was my first, very first podcast guest no when we launched it. Oh my yeah. God, that's so cool. It yeah. must have been so fun for you. It was really fun. That's <laughs> She's awesome. great and very into wellness and has, you know, a lot of amazing practices to stay healthy while she's on tour, which is. I would love to hear about that because that's something I think about, like for as as somebody who has gotten so deeply immersed in like to the health world and like now I have so much awareness of of all of the implications like the food that you has you know on your longevity and and exercise and mental health and journaling and all of these like men- health as as an umbrella term for all of these other things like I do wonder about that I'm a very regimented person and I I've never been on tour before and I'm going on tour next year and I I've I've actually been really wanting to talk to somebody about how you maintain healthy habits when you're on the road oh my gosh I think Sophie would be a great person to talk to or listen to the podcast also but she I remember one of her tricks so a couple she she um I think on her rider or even maybe on her bus she takes one of those little uh I think it's a Nutribullet blender yeah and just has like a bunch of fruit and makes smoothies (laughs) and then this one was good she she gets a sweet potato and just microwaves it because a lot of hotels have microwaves and um she puts it in her fanny bag and like tinfoil oh that's so iconic she eats, uh, that's <laughs> so iconic healthy and filling you know uh, that's so, so funny couple of fun that's gonna tips. be me i'm gonna be shoving sweet potatoes in my fanny packs <laughs> i love that that's actually very inspiring for me <laughs> yeah so yeah so those are some you know some of the artists that i love i mean there are so many and i i guess a lot of a lot of people sadly i think when they're when they start to get into their 20s unless they're in the music industry they they start to kind of move away from music a little bit and a life you get lost in the chaos that's true so much happening all the time and then you sort of get stuck listening to just what you loved as a kid. But I mean, I feel the same way. I'm yeah. like, I don't listen to the radio. I don't listen to... I, I find it really difficult to listen to new music um, because it, the, the market is so oversaturated. It's just like, what lot. am I supposed to like? Where am I... Like, how am I supposed to find this niche little playlist that actually resonates with me when I'm like being fed these really curated things with like a lot of political stuff happening which is the reason why they are being shoved in my face it's like I don't I don't know how to find things new things that will really connect with me so I always revert back to like Fleetwood Mac and Dave Matthews and Cheryl Crow and like these people that I'm just I know I can go to for my escapism yeah and, it's and comforting it's, it's, com- sure. it's just comforting <laughs> like man when i put on rumors i just feel like i'm floating away i'm like this is oh i'm like who's making this and where can i find it because i don't think it's on new music friday so lead me in the right direction yeah, um, yeah, yeah. i had a 
birthday party last week and my Happy friends belated. thank you <laughs> and my friends a lot of them are wonderful musicians and they sang um so bad with song titles go your own way yeah. <laughs> it was, a, it was awesome. beautiful it was a wonderful way to end that's awesome um and then I'm curious, you know, just, just a question about storytelling. So obviously you tell stories through your music and your lyrics and what you write about. And that's so important. And I, I'm, I believe that it's great, a great way to create connection with your audience is through sharing your own stories. And, the, you know, you don't have to share everything, you know, just what you feel comfortable with. But I feel like what you shared here so inspiring like you've gone through a lot and you're you're being so creative and you're about to put this like magnum opus into the world and it's it's really inspiring is that something that you try to do consciously to maybe help others on their path or I mean I think when you love music and you know what it's done for you like it's hard you know I tell people like what my dad does and sometimes I think the lives that he is like saving and helping and it's so significant and I I think about him and I admire him so deeply for what he does because it, his life's work is only in service of other people and sometimes I think my job is so selfish <laughs> because it really is like it it everything I do makes me feel better but I also know that you know having friendships with other songwriters and, and artists like yes in a way like it is it is like writing in your journal every night um which is helpful and beneficial for you but you also remember why you started making music in the first place and it's because music was that outlet for you not just your music but other people's music and and I have to remind myself of that sometimes when I feel like my job is quote-unquote easy somehow um and I remember what like listening to Paramore did for me and um feeling like oh this they're talking about my life they're talking about their and feeling less isolated in my experiences and I think to know that um my songs could have the potential and the power to do that for somebody else um that is 100% a, a huge reason why I write songs. Um, and I want to I keep doing that. And, and I only ever write from personal experience. And, and I am a young girl going through various phases of my young adult life. And that in itself is like the connective tissue is already there because there's millions of other young girls going through yeah. that period of their life. And I think there's a lot of par parallels between stories and feelings and emotions and hormones and all of these things that are happening at that time during your life. And so, um, yeah, it's, it is a, it is a form of connectedness through people. And I just, I, I, I can only hope that people connect to my stories in whatever way they, they will, or they do. Um, through me talking about my my experiences in my life and my emotional roller coaster of a of a brain and a heart. <laughs> yeah, no, I believe I do believe that music and art are 
you know, their acts of service and especially when they come from the heart, when they're done authentically and that, you know, the whole reason the, the podcast is called Stories in Harmony is that, you know, I, I believe of the, in the power of transformation through stories. Yeah. And I think that's exactly what you're doing. And it's, it's amazing. Thank you. And thank you for giving a space to people to talk about those things and have people receive it and hopefully um, gain something from it. Yeah, that is the hope. <laughs> so, Annika, where can people find you, um, you know, on, on Instagram and TikTok and website I know that you have? Where should, where should they look for you? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm everywhere. <laughs> um, but, yeah, the music will be out on the 12th. First single bruises is coming of on the 12th. October. I'm doing uh, of October. I'm doing a, a a an actual like 25 audio NFT drop a week from tomorrow. So on the seventh. So um, that's that's like the first initial release of bruises, and then it'll be available for like mainstream sort of streaming services on the 12th. Um, and it's just Anna Caro's and Anna Caro's music everywhere else. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. That was so fun. Oh, for me too. Thank you so much for tuning in to Stories in Harmony podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, on YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you heard, please remember to like, follow, and subscribe, and recommend us to a friend. I'm your host, Laura Ferrero, a marketing and storytelling strategist and coach. You can find out more about me at lauraferrero.co and my business, Story Harmony. Thanks again for tuning in.